is out. Natural learning is in. Hey there, I am Kelly Edwards, your host of this podcast and creator of the 90-Minute School Day. This is not your typical homeschooling podcast. Here, you will find out-of-the-box stories from the trenches, trainings, tools, and tips to guide you forward. Yes, I like alliteration. We will also share results and mindset shifts to support you in your journey of living and learning alongside your out-of-the-box neurodiverse kids. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of the 90-Minute School Day podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards, and today's episode is the last of season one. Our episode today is a different format. It features a previously recorded live conversation with my dear friend, Robin Robertson, popular podcaster of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, and also my co-creator of the How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit. We speak with fellow homeschooling parent, Amanda Diekman, who is the author of the book, Low Demand Parenting. I am publishing this conversation now because the new year is a time where we look toward the future with hope and begin making fresh goals and plan for new starts. It is with this societal tradition in mind that our own expectations arise increasing the demands on ourselves and our families. Therefore, this conversation with Amanda is transformational. Instead of creating goals that sound good but don't deliver, let's shift our gaze to what isn't working in favor of a new approach that will. Join us as we discuss burnout and lowering demands in favor of felt safety, attachment, and relationship. This is a super timely topic, and I hope super helpful. In this episode, we discuss the concept of low-demand parenting, which is a de-parenting method that departs from traditional parenting akin to the de-schooling transition we experience as homeschoolers when we leave conventional education methods in favor of relational, natural learning. So we discuss our journeys through burnout and how to get out of the boxes we unknowingly confine ourselves to, to discover the joy and healing that comes from breaking free from them. In this conversation, we then tackle the importance of checking in with ourselves, understanding our capacity and limits, and creatively finding solutions to meet our needs while respecting the needs of our children. Finally, we dive into the concept of adultism and childism and how communication through listening can build trust, connection, and a healthy attachment that lasts a lifetime. So if you're seeking a guide into love, joy, and healing from all the demands, get ready to take notes in this insightful episode. Hello and welcome everybody. Hi, Amanda. How are you? 
Hi, great. I am so excited for this conversation here. We're going to give everybody a few minutes to join while I throw some stuff up in the back end. Um, how's your day going, Amanda? Whew. Um, it's been a great day. Uh, I got to lead a course and have an interview with Barry Prezant of Uniquely Human, the podcast, which was awesome. Um, and then I was just playing a very rough and wild game with my kids where I was the monster and they were slaying me with their stuffed animals. So it's been very <laughs> wonderful. I love that. I love that look into your world. Congratulations on that podcast. And um, I'm glad everyone survived the slaying. Yeah, yes. Actually, this was good because I was able to verbalize that I was okay to be slayed by my neck being cut in the back, but not the front. <laughs> <laughs> that's good it's important to know these things about everyone <laughs> yes I know like the stuffed animals actually coming at my face was bringing my threat response to the surface I was like "Ooh, I'm, I feel like they're actually killing me this isn't good so I was like guys could you just cut my neck from the back by my hair and it'll flick you know if you make my hair fly then you're doing it right so they really liked that visual image so my hair was flying I love that. I love that example. And I'm so thrilled for this conversation because I think that's a good one of like seeing where they need to be, knowing where you need to be, figuring out in the moment, how can you suggest something that gives them what they need, but also respects what you need, which I think is one of the hardest things in homeschooling is so often um, as the homeschool parent, we want to give our children everything. And a lot of times we do that at the expense of ourselves. And that can mm. be where this leads to burnout, right? And resentment and all the, all the things that we don't want. So um, thank you for that image. I think that that is a good one to start with. My kids and I really, we've never like fought with stuffies, but we do pillow fights a lot for the same reason. Sometimes you just need to get that out of your body and it's kind of a fun and playful way to do it, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, one of my kids needs a lot of experiences of control and mastery and winning and not just winning, but like destroying you. So we um, we do a lot of that through play so that they can get that need met. And um, I I find that it works best when I'm the enemy so they can gang up on me. And then there's teamwork and collaboration, and um, it gives me a chance to be really silly and playful and f get really into it. Like, I always somehow turn into a zombie because I kind of love to be a zombie. Um, <laughs> so... Now we know this about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you haven't play acted as a zombie, I highly encourage you to try it because it's really, it's just, it's a lovely role. I love it. Everybody who play, who play acts as a zombie this week, tag Amanda, tag us too, so we can see. Um, I, I might have to try that. It'd be good stress release right there. Well, um, let's go ahead and get started. And what we're going to do today is we're going to just have a casual conversation between Amanda and Robin and I at the beginning of the hour. And then we're going to transition to live Q&A. So if you've got questions for Amanda, um, you can throw them in the chat now. You can raise your hand in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. Um, and we will invite you up kind of in the latter half of the hour so you can ask your questions there. Um, welcome, Amanda and Robin. I wanted to kind of open the floor for, uh, we'll let Robin introduce herself first since this is her club. And then we'll go um, to Amanda and um, I'll kind of wrap up with a quick introduction um, on myself and then we'll dive right into the interview. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Sounds, Sounds awesome. Great.
Okay, hey, Robin, welcome. It's, been, it's hey. been a long time. It's been a very long time. Actually, I dropped in this conversation, thought I was early, and then thought, did I miss something? Because you guys seem like you very well started. So that's fantastic, because that's when you know it's going to be a good room, because the conversation is in the flow. So Amanda, great to meet you. I've heard lots about you, and of course, I follow you, and I'm looking forward to connecting more. So I'm happy that you're here today. Uh, I'm Robin Robertson. I am an unschooling parent to two teenagers. We've been playing this game for... I don't even know now, I think 10 going on 11 years. Um, and we began as world schoolers is kind of how we began and, and fell into the curves and the valleys and the mountains and the changes that happen with this learning life. Um, and my oldest is 16 turning 17 and my youngest is 14. We live in Alberta, Canada. I'm the creator and host of the podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids which is the namesake for this, this club or this, um, I don't even know what it's called anymore, um, here on Clubhouse, but welcome. I'm happy everyone is here and really it's the same. I'm looking to have questions answered and to build community and that's really the reason why the podcast began and why we do things like this, host these rooms on Clubhouse. Uh, Kelly and I host the How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit. Um, and do all of those things that we also as homeschooling parents need and enjoy as well. So welcome, everybody. All right, it's my turn. Hi, I'm Amanda. Thrilled to meet you, Robin. Thank you for that um, introduction so nice and to chance to get to meet, to meet you this way. Um, I am a parent to three neurodivergent kids and an autistic adult myself. I diagnose sort of self-identified and then officially diagnosed um, at my 37th, my 38th birthday, um, which was just a couple months after my middle child was diagnosed with autism as well. So we have um, been on very much parallel twin journeys of self-discovery, my children and me. Um, we live in Durham, North Carolina in an intentional community that is centered around people with disabilities and creating um, supportive community in intentional and systemic ways. Um, and let's see, I just wrote a book called Low Demand Parenting. I work online as Low Demand Amanda, and I have been um, teaching, sharing, learning, growing, and connecting in the online space only about a year um, about maybe a year and a half. So I'm still really new to um, showing up in this transparent way and, and really enjoying finding my people who are spread all over the world. And now I'll get to meet some of them today. Oh, and I should say, since we're um, in a homeschool setting, I also unschool my three kids. This is our first school year with all three not attempting to engage with school in any form. So I'm calling it our freedom year. Oh, I love that. Freedom year. Good luck. There's, And it sounded like it was off to a good start today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been unschooling my middle for this will be their fourth year. So I feel like I've done a lot of my own de-schooling over the, but just continuing to have some kid have some foot in some school in some capacity. So it's just really wonderful to uh, be free. 
<laughs> it is really wonderful to be free and that de-schooling process keeps going just because we live in a schooled society, right? And so we just kind of have to interact with it daily. And I love hearing, I love hearing this. So um, we're going to get started. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kelly Edwards and I am the creator of the 90 Minute School Day, which is a de-schooling platform to help parents transition from a traditional school mindset into natural learning. And that is a process. And I've just really love walking parents through that transition. So if you're interested in that, you can follow me by clicking on my bio and um, keeping up with me over there. Do you like learning with me on the podcast? Consider joining the waitlist for guide training. This cohort coaching series meets twice a year in the fall and spring. We gather here together, learning in community to be a guide, not a teacher. Guides don't do it for you. They help you do it for yourself. Guides go with you. Guides lead when it gets tricky and confidence is lost. They hold your hand when you need it. They walk beside you in relationship. Guides follow and cheer you on as you lead the way. Get the guidance you need to guide your homeschool. Learn more about guide training and join the waitlist by clicking the link in the show notes. Yeah, so what we're doing tonight and where this came about was I was polling my Instagram audience last week. I just kind of wanted to know where everybody was at, what they were looking um, to gain for support in the upcoming school year. And there was a lovely homeschooling parent who was very honest. They're a new homeschooling parent and asked, I'm very nervous about 24-7 with my kiddo. I'm worried about my own burnout and self-care. And that question just really resonated with me. Uh, I have walked through burnout more times than I care to admit, but I, a couple periods in my life, it was very significant. And then um, I'm a parent of three neurodivergent children as well. And all of my children have come into our family, not by birth, but through the foster adoption program here in West Virginia. So my children are 15 and nine and five, we just had a birthday, so I always have to pause, but 15, nine and five. And um, my oldest came into our family as a six-year-old and we started homeschooling for attachment for obvious reasons. She needed to adjust and learn um, how to feel at home in her family. So we've got a lot of letters going on in my house, um, but one of them is PDA, we've got ADHD, we have reactive attachment disorder, PTSD, anxiety, sensory processing disorder, and there may be a couple others that are escaping me at the moment. But that's a little longer introduction that I meant to do, but I think that it's good context for this conversation, just so you know that you're with like-minded people, what you just said, Amanda, of just finding community is a really comfortable place to do that deep inner work. So without further ado, Amanda, would you like to kick us off with sharing a little bit more about your story through burnout? And what brought you to homeschooling? You mentioned it started with, I, I believe, your middle son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to share that story, though. It's a hard story. I think that um, it's one of the ones that I feel most passionate about sharing because parenting burnout and parenting trauma is so rarely spoken about. And even the trauma establishment is not often including the experiences that we have in our parenting life um, as a common reason that people end up with PTSD. Um, and also 
that burnout in particular is such an important um, reality, especially for parents who have kids with really intense needs. And many of us end up homeschooling because our kids have intense needs. So it really is a perfect um, situation to really name some of these realities. But I'm also glad to do it because I think that there's a lot of life and a lot of promise and a lot of things that we can do um, to that burnout is not inevitable um, and that there are ways that we can care for ourselves that are radical and involve kind of stepping off of the mainstream path. But let's let's do it. So my um, my middle child, um, who is non-binary, so I'm going to use they pronouns for them. Um, they went into autistic burnout, their own journey of autistic burnout when they were six. And that experience was so dramatic. Um, they lost skills rapidly. Um, they were incredibly dysregulated for many months. And we began homeschooling because they could not access school in the um, the way they were, they couldn't leave the house. We attempt, we still maintained a connection to the school system through that period of time, um, but it was mostly unhelpful instead of helpful. So it was an added stressor, not a lightening of our load. Um, and at the end of a year of living with a child in burnout, I entered my own burnout. Um, and it felt like I can't do this one more day. I can't live like this. I, I, Mine was at a very clinical level. I think that it's important to name that there are many, many stages of burnout. Um, burnout is often associated with a loss of skills. You're not able to do the things that you could do before. So maybe normally cooking dinner is no problem for you. But in burnout, that becomes really difficult. Um, it may be that maintaining different um, interesting, complicated Dynamic homeschool lessons is generally no problem for you, but that becomes just too much. It's overwhelming. Um, and that's the way it was for me, but on kind of like basic skills. I was struggling with faith, maintaining basic focus and attention um, and sleeping, eating. Like I was really falling apart. And my psychologist rightly diagnosed me with PTSD. I really considered. Um, hospitalization as being a, a possible ne next step for me, but instead I found a way to heal right here at home with my family. And out of that experience, I developed the low demand parenting method as a radical accommodation, both for my children and for me, so that I could be well and that they could be well and that we could learn a way to be together that honors our needs and that, um, uh, that has a rhythm and a flow to our life because what I felt like was everything was falling apart. But what was actually happening is we were breaking out of a lot of these um, too narrow boxes that we'd been in and we were finding our freedom outside of that. But it, that, as you mentioned, Kelly, the de-schooling, it was kind of, we had to go through our 
our own journey as a family of what did we think this was going to be like? Like, okay, families eat dinner together at the table and families have conversations and families ride together in one car and families take vacations together and all of these things that we thought were givens that were just like the way we would do it. That turns out that's not the way we do it. That's not what's best for us. That's not what our thriving looks like. And um, that process of letting go of those things and finding our own way um, is where I learned the ins and outs of low demand parenting. And it very much now serves us as a, a rich guide into ease and joy, which is what I have discovered is what that life looks like on the ground now that we're all very much healed and, um, and continuing to heal. Oh, wow. Amanda, thank you so much. I think that's what I love so much about you and following you and reading your book is just how completely honest and authentic and transparent you are with um, some really dark stuff. And, and we all are dealing with different difficult things at different points in our lives. And you've really walked through some challenging times and your story is so powerful because you you you've made it through and you're able to now reach back and help others. And so I think that that is what, you know, draws me to you. I, I know that this is resonating with other people in the audience um, for similar reasons. And I want to kind of circle back on your definition of burnout, because I think that that's important to delineate because we talk about burnout, like you said, in several different capacities when um, you know, like when I talk about burnout, I'm normally talking about, burnout as two things for me. Um, one is you have done too much of something that really drains you and now you have nothing left to give because you haven't, you know, it's that old, you know, the pitcher's empty type of idea. And then the other definition I would give for burnout is you've done too much of something that's energized you and you've really enjoyed. Like when Robin and I do the How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit, we both get really burnt out, but we're like loving every minute of it. But at the end of it, we just know to plan for it. And so that those are two types of, I feel like um, everyone kind of goes through that type of burnout. But what you're talking about, Amanda, is for your child, it was... Um, autistic burnout. And then you had burnout uh, because you were the primary caregiver. And, and that for me also, you can get PTSD by caring for someone with a lot of trauma or with the PDA lens. That profile of autism also is very similar. Like your brain kind of operates because you're in a survival state, just as you mm -hmm. would if you had PTSD. So all of that to say, can you kind of clarify a little bit more about clinical burnout that you're talking about, just again, for everyone listening? Yeah, I think that I'm glad you defined burnout the way you did too, because that might be more considered, um, or you might notice that you're experiencing that because you need a lot more rest. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very much, as in my practice, personally and in my work with clients, I really center on needs. I think that needs are where is what we really need to learn to verbalize. And so I always think this way. So if, if you're experiencing um, exhaustion where you need a lot more rest, it might be difficult to think in the normal ways and um, typical tasks that you would accomplish are no longer doable. Um, that might happen for a couple of days maybe even a week. And then you feel like if you do good care, you can come back from it. Um, and that might be around, you know, particular events. I think one of the, the pieces of clinical burnout 
um, is that it does involve some kind of significant life altering loss of skills. Um, it may also come with a mental health situation, but some people think that maybe they're experiencing major depression, but what they're really experiencing is burnout. And um, I really love the book Burnout by the Nagoski sisters. Um, if you're thinking that you may have experienced burnout or you might be in one right now, that's an excellent book to read. Um, I actually, I, I'm not sure if that's really the right recommendation. It's a, it's hard to read when you're in burnout. So I wanted to read that book when I was in burnout and I was not able to do it. So maybe read it now if you're not in burnout and um, get those thoughts in your head. What they say is most helpful um, and what burnout is in their definition is that you're caught in the stress cycle where stress is accumulating in your body in ways that are now exceeding your body's stress management system. And so it's leaking out into all kinds of other places. It's impairing your brain function and your ability for your body to function. So you might notice you're having burnout because you're having stomach chronic stomach pain or you're experiencing other kinds of like neurological symptoms, those can all be related actually to your body's stress system. And um, just to wrap this up, what they recommend is um, actually learning your own stress management system so that you can move all the way through your emotional experience. Um, it's not too dissimilar to somatic experiencing. If anybody's ever used that in their trauma work, you kind of revisit the emotional state that you were in when the trauma happened and move all the way through it. So you're able to complete the stress cycle. But what it teaches you to do on a daily basis are these small acts of moving through your emotions rather than getting stuck in them. And I think that that's really important for us as we move deeper into this conversation around homeschooling and our self-care and well-being is that sometimes these little bitty, little bitty chronic stressors that are happening for us on a daily basis with our children, if we're not really attentive to those as stress, they can accumulate in our bodies, even if they're small, and it can become overwhelming because of the cumulative effect and not because of there's any one moment when it was so hard. And I think that that's a crucial um, place to think about dropping demands, which is, you know, my particular jam when it comes to self-care. Great segue. So thank you for that, because I think that it's so important to learn learn about burnout. And thank you for that book recommendation. Um, I think that that sounds like an excellent resource for everyone, and especially talking about somatic experiencing. And I remember from your book, you also mentioned some other things that you used as um, systems and tools and, and practices that you moved through in your own journey personally that really resonated with me because our family has worked through many of those ourselves. And one of them I've been, I've been sitting there with neurofeedback, like, should we try this? And mm. that was one of the things you listen to listed. And I was like, Hey, this is the fourth time in a month. Someone has mentioned this. So I'm going to reach out, but um, let's move forward in the conversation, Amanda, because I think we could talk to you all day and I just want to be mindful of our time. Um, please tell us about low demand parenting, because you set it up so beautifully in that your practice is needs centered and that burnout is kind of accumulation of stress. So how do we move through a low demand practice? Like where mm -hmm. would you, where would you take it from there? Just, okay. 
There you go. So most of us were raised with what I would call a high demand system because that was for sure the culture when many of us were children and is still the dominant culture today. So a high demand system gives us two primary tools to deal with a stressful situation that is difficult. It says ignore what you're feeling or work harder, push harder, and often both. <laughs> Let's ignore what you're feeling and push harder. Um, and that um, is in some ways, those are the same tools that we're bringing to our children when they're struggling. Um, and one of the lovely things that's emerged over the last 10 or 15 years is, you know, naming our emotions and mindfulness, but what really has not caught on the way that I hope that it will well, one day is actually lowering expectations and dropping demands. And that is the core of the low demand approach. So it is a practice like yoga is a practice. It's not really like a set of, you know, three quick tips to get your kid to listen to you or, uh like the foolproof system, it's actually more of a mindset and a way of life that will teaches you how to look at the world with a demand lens. And by that, I mean, um, or the, the way that I define that really simply for myself and for my kids is that some things are hard, which means that they're a challenge for us, but they're within our window of tolerance to respond to it with the tools and support we currently have. So that would be hard. And then some things are too hard. And those would be things that are kicking up our stress cycles. We're beginning to feel sweaty and panicky. And those things, we drop the demand. We, we reduce the expectation that is leading to that too hard situation. So I'll give you a quick example. Um, when when we were a more high demand family, we would sit around the table every night and attempt to eat a shared meal. And it was already apparent to me that it was too hard for my kids to eat all the same foods because they would just literally not eat. And um, the idea that they'll eat when they're hungry is just not true for some children. And we had so many feeding problems that I knew I needed to make different meals to accommodate their sensory needs. but even sitting together around a table became too hard. And the way that I now look back on it and see that is that one child was getting up and running around the room, pushing over their brother's chairs and screaming. And another child was just not able to eat because of the environment it was too chaotic and stressful. And then the third child was my baby who would respond to all of that chaos by throwing everything. And that was our dinner experience. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone. Feel free to share in the chat if you have had that kind of dinner. And that like now when I look back on that, the demand of all sitting at the table was too hard and it was too hard for everyone. And so when we began to let go of things and align expectations, we realized, oh, what's actually doable, what's hard, but not too hard is eating food in separate spaces at different times. And so my, my toddler really still needed my support. So we would eat together, the two of us, but the other two needed to eat separately for their own various reasons. And then because of his work schedule, my husband needed to eat at a different time. And that meeting each of our needs in that way made our life so much better. Letting go of what was too hard and staying within our window of tolerance, it made it possible for my kids to eat. It made it possible for me to enjoy my food 
It made it possible for my husband and I to actually connect. Um, And it was actually in letting go that we found that freedom. So good. Um, And your book is full of like a framework that you kind of work through for dropping demands. And um, you give so many good examples, Amanda, and the whole dinner time thing. I resonate with because sometimes it's okay. And then sometimes it's not okay. We've had to drop a lot of demands around brushing teeth and Mm. all kinds of different things. And I, and I think um, as homeschoolers, um, one thing that helped me drop the demand around the dinner table, the expectation of the Norman Rockwall, you know, you have it in your head, this big should of like, this is family life. We are together so much, you know, the, the typical kind of family idea, everybody goes to work and school during the day. So you reconvene over the dinner table. But if you're together all day, you don't necessarily need to have that same expectation. And that's what you're talking about is like, revisiting these expectations, asking, do they serve your needs, right? Yes, absolutely. And identifying what matters most. And for us, being able to access food, like actually being nutritionally fed is what mattered most and that we could create family connection in other ways. Like for us in that season, we would wrestle together every day as a family. And that was our daily connection ritual. And it played all the same roles as sitting around a table was supposed to in that we would have good conversations and we would um, be, be having fun together and enjoying each other's company, but it was just, it met our needs where we were. And, um, so I call that like knowing your why, why are you holding this demand? Why are you expecting this in the first place? And when you know your why, and you know, what's too hard, then you're really empowered to let go of what's too hard while you hold on to what actually matters and find creative solutions to meet that dynamic. Love it. And that's what we have to do in homeschooling too. We have to find our why, why are we doing this? And that helps us when we start to have that imposter syndrome, right? Or that we're comparing or we think we're not enough and we have all those doubts and fears. You, you hold it right next to your why and, and, and you revisit it and ask yourself, wait a second, what, what am I, what's really going on over here? <laughs> so mm. that, that's another thing that I think is so important about your work, Amanda, is just how helpful it is for all families, but um, especially homeschoolers. Well, I'm looking at the time and I, I know we want to get into people's questions. So now is your opportunity, everyone, if you want to raise your hand and come up on this stage and speak to Amanda, we're going to prioritize um, live conversations um, tonight. And then we've gotten a lot of questions sent in. So those will come next and then we'll do the ones on the chat, but I want to make sure we have time for everything. Um, and I've just linked Amanda's book. Uh, low demand parenting at the top of the room. We've been keeping links. These stay for the replays. Um, if you want to come back and revisit these links later, everyone. So go ahead and raise your hand if you'd like to come up. And um, I'll ask the first question that came in prior to today. And Robin, have do you have the list for um, the chat? Yep, I have the list for the chat ready. Do you enjoy listening to other homeschoolers share their stories and ask their questions? If you're like me, this is how you find new resources and perhaps experience new revelations. It is my deepest desire to share your story and your arrival to homeschooling, the struggles you've experienced, and also why you're still homeschooling. I'd love to elevate your family's unique learning journey for all of us to hear and learn from 
I truly believe we have more in common than we have differences, and sharing our individual struggles and strengths is a way we can grow in empathy and understanding of one another, perhaps even inspiring a new avenue of learning to embark on in our own learning lives. So let us hear from you. Click the link in the show notes and leave me a voicemail and be part of a future episode. One of the first questions that came in, Amanda, was um, strewing. So strewing is an accommodation you can make for PDA. uh, And and I think everyone who's in the unschooling community is familiar with strewing. And if you're not, we can get into that. But this person was asking, how do they strew and prep as a neurodivergent parent Mm with a kid who may not want to do the strew because it's a high executive functioning cost for the parent. So they don't want to waste a lot of their energy doing this, but it's also hard to do it on the fly. Yes. I love this question. Okay. Um, I am tackling it in my brain. Okay. Here's how I would respond. First of all, let's identify what's too hard. It is too hard for the parent to put a lot of work into strewing and then have it be ignored. And they probably know it's too hard because there's building resentment, frustration. um, And it is too hard for the child to consistently use whatever is strewed, which one of the core elements of strewing and is actually really core to low demand parenting as a whole is paying attention, not just to our spoken expectations and our explicit demands, but our energetic expectations and demands. Just even what we hope will happen can for some of our kids, particularly if they have very sensitive nervous systems or unstable attachment or trauma, they will feel our energy. And so if you strew with energy that says, you better play with this because mama stayed up an extra hour and a half that I didn't have last night. So, you know, (laughs) do your best work with it. That energy for some of our kids may feel deeply unsafe and it may make them disengage from us, from what we've strewn and from the learning objectives that we is probably why we're strewing this thing in the first place. So the first thing I would do for this overwhelmed mom who wants to provide this great learning environment for their kid is is at first I would just check in and say, like, is this doable right now? Maybe strewing isn't right for you right now. Um, I would make sure that you feel stable enough and that you've got your needs met well enough to add something because it's okay if you don't do it. That would be first. Um, Then next, I would say, let's let's be creative with how we do it. Um, Perhaps lower the bar, drop the expectation that you strew something every day or even every week. Like, what if you did it for like once every other week you put something out like like that? Is that doable? Or perhaps it's too hard to look something up on Pinterest and then try to execute it like to the T. Maybe for you, strewing is something like kinetic sand and a whisk and like a podcast on or something like that. And like, maybe they come downstairs and listen and engage with their hands and maybe they don't, but regardless, you enjoy the podcast and then you turn it off. Find something that is in your window of tolerance to offer without a demand attached. And especially 
lower your expectation of just how like powerful and transformative this is going to be, it may, it may be completely ignored. And if that hurts your feelings and makes you feel demoralized and like quitting the whole project, then it's probably not the right thing for you in this season. Cause that's just too much for you and your kid. Um, and it's just a technique. Like there's just so many other ways to learn and to engage and to grow like that doesn't have to be on your list in order to be a good homeschooler or a good unschooler. Yes, Amanda, I think that that is just so good because we talk about that a lot about not having expectations when you strew. And if you're going to have an expectation, then you're kind of defeating the purpose because it's about what the child is going to do with the materials. That's the whole point of the kind of exploratory process. And, and what you just said is so kind and compassionate because that's really where self-care comes into is dropping these demands, doing things within our window of tolerance, giving us grace, all of these things. I'm just, I'm just loving this conversation. Um, and I wanted to, to get to the next question because I think it's, it's similar. The next question is how do you work with a kiddo who never has enough? So again, mm. that the, there's that parent um, I, I never has enough. Here's the examples. I spend an hour playing with her. She's in charge. It's her game, her deal. But when it's time for me to leave or to say, uh, start dinner, it's a tantrum because they want more time, more play. And then the, the second example this parent gives is we spend all morning at the park playing and exploring. We come home. She decides what lunch is today. Then we sneak in a treat in the midst of the fun. She's asking, what else can we do? Who can we invite over? Where we can go? Whatever we're doing, she's always asking for the next thing. And I'm constantly feeling defeated. Um, this child is seven years old for reference, and she would appreciate mm -hmm. any insight. So I think this is a common thing parents deal with. Yes, for sure. Super common. I have one like this. Oftentimes, these children are experiencing life on on the next level they are very intense and they have really big needs for um one-on-one -on -one often co-regulation and connection with their parents that really exceed their parents ability to meet that demand um and i just want to say that two things one part of the process of creating a homeschooling life that actually works for you is taking a step back and being honest about what your kids' needs are without judging those needs. It doesn't mean you have to meet them by yourself, but it does mean that you accept, okay, this is the child in front of me. This is what they are showing up with. This is their need. And that need is valid and important and it deserves to be met. And that we're going to develop trusting connection by me finding creative ways to meet this need day after day. And it's like that two truths, like in one hand, you're holding these needs and saying, these are valid, these are important. And on the other side, you're asking, you're saying, and it's too much for me. And I think one of the crucial questions when something your child very legitimately and validly needs is too much for you. I always get curious with that parent. Okay, is it always too much for you or is it only sometimes? And I'm guessing it's sometimes or it's certain things. Like, is it after the park when your child asks for a play date that it's kind of like, 
connecting to another adult and having to make plans when you've already, when you're already exhausted, is that what's too much? Like what specifically about your child's needs in that moment are too much? If they instead needed to do a marathon doll session with you where they script everything that um, you say, would that be too hard or would that be doable? And getting clear with yourself about what exactly is your capacity. What, um, the way I put it is what I want to have enough inside to show up for the real life that I'm living. So what do you have enough for right now? And what is outside your ability? And when something is a valid need, but it is outside your ability, that is when we reach into our creativity and find our areas of abundance. And we all, it's so much easier in a way to name our areas of scarcity. Like, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have that. But I think that this is a time to get creative and think about what do you have more than enough of in, in this season? And it probably is maybe just a couple things, but maybe you have more than enough of something that you could creatively find a way to reach outside of your capacity, you might say, I don't have the capacity for this, but this person might. Like maybe you've got a pseudo grandparent on the phone who is able to play a lot of games of Scrabble and they are willing to be called every single day to play Scrabble with your kiddo when you're tapped out. And knowing that that resource is there and drawing on it, or maybe it's you, you join a parent community and look for another a friend, an online friend who likes to play the same games as your child. And so you draw on that because you know you're connected to some really incredible online communities. You're going to say, this is too much for me, but the need is still valid. So how do I meet the need in a way that's doable for me? And those kind of solutions are gonna be so customized and particular to your family that resi resist the urge to crowdsource it. Like ask your friend, what would what do you do when your kid, no, 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 this is about you and your capacity and your areas of abundance. Like stick, get out your journal instead of your phone and take it deep for yourself. Um, because really what you're talking about here is creating a life that you actually enjoy where you're like, I always like to say, like, I want to be in love with my life and not every day, not every moment. Like that's unreasonable, completely unrealistic expectation. Like we all have hard days, but I want this life to be doable for me because when it's doable, I get to enjoy it. And when I'm enjoying it, I show up as a better version of myself as a mother. That was amazing. That, that, that whole piece right there. And especially that last part, Amanda, where you're just really talking about like, finding the joy, getting back in this relational, um, joy centered part of living takes, it takes work and it takes knowing yourself and your own needs and your capacity and looking at it from a lens of abundance and creativity rather than that scarcity. And we all know this, but it's, it's so hard, especially if we are in that place of burnout. So thank you for answering that so beautifully. You do a great job in your book too, of just, there's so much compassion in this book. I know I've said it's like a hug and a personal, um, parent retreat all rolled into one. It's just really great. Um, and it's just, it's just beautiful, Amanda. Um, so this, this last question that I have that was sent in from earlier, and then we can get into the ones, um, when I see Hiromi's up here, we can get, get to Hiromi and then the ones that have been sent into the chat. But, um, 
this last question from this parent is how do I low demand uh, parent a three-year-old and a one-year-old? Oh, I love this. Okay. I have a little, little soapbox on the ways, especially if your kids are neurodivergent, it's like a, a nexus, a perfect storm, but regardless when they're little, um, adultism or some people call it childism doesn't really matter it's the it's the assumption that you only gain worthiness and trust as you age and that um that adults are then inherently more trustworthy than children are and this you really see this um with young children because if you think about the way like a young child expresses themselves in some form and people are like ugh, you know just throwing a tantrum like there's no effort to really listen to what that child is communicating or what need they have. Um, there's a real dismissal of young children's needs as being somehow invalid simply because they're little. And that's really heartbreaking. So yes, you can do low demand parenting with little children. Of course you can. Um, it doesn't mean that every single whim and desire and need that comes up for them is monument as monumental as they think it is. But it does mean that they think it is. And we can honor that in their body and brain right now, this is a very big deal. And also that like, yes, to an adult, that would not be a big deal. But it's all about getting inside of our small human and trying to connect with and build trust with them. And if we're constantly denying their reality, that does not build trust and connection. So my first thought would be that when our kids are little, there's going to be some active, like deep de-schooling, but it's de-parenting. Like you're really going to have to consciously separate from dominant culture parenting that is really going to be about power and control over your children and is going to make it very difficult to hear their unique voices. So I would be really careful about who you're listening to and how you're consuming parenting content. Um, I would unplug from things like developmental milestones and comparing your children to other kids in your life. Really, your goal here is to learn this human. You have a, a fairly new creation on your hands and no one knows them yet. They don't know themselves. And you are like an anthropologist. Like, who, who is this person? What do they need? What makes them tick? How do they do? And just get like crazy curious about all the things that they do. And the other big thing I would say, in addition to like, be really wary of who you listen to in that season is slow down. That there, we put so many expectations on our little people. And in many ways, it's because our lives are still probably more intact, like where we're still kind of moving at top speed and still trying to accomplish a lot of adult goals. But I think we really, if we're going to be listening really respectfully to our small people, we have to slow down because their experiences of life are very intense and very big. And every new thing can be a challenge for them. And so we may not be able to do as much stuff, like just accomplishing a diaper change that meets all of their sensory needs may be your morning activity. So find ways to meet your own needs proactively and like give yourself a really huge, big hug for doing a hard thing, which is learning a new person and 
developing a healthy attachment that will be a gift to them and their brain for their entire life. You really are doing life altering work here in these early years. And so with that long view in mind, it's so valid and so important and so hard and so needed. So yeah, from me here that what you are doing matters. I love that. I love that so much, Amanda. And it's so, so true. Attachment is just kind of the key to everything, isn't it? All right. Well, uh, let's welcome Hiromi. Hi, Hiromi. How are you? It's good to see you. Hi, Kelly and Robin. It's so awesome to be here. Um, I'm so glad that my other room changed so I can be here now every Tuesday. And Amanda, it's so great to listen to you. And I'm looking forward to getting your book. Um, And I just want to say how inspiring it is to be with other homeschool parents who have children that are neurodivergent. So I know, Kelly, you talk about it a lot. So I just want to say thank you and a shout out to all the parents there. Um, I have a kind of an observation, and I would love for... um, Amanda and Kelly and Robin, if you could chime in, um, not so much a question is low demand parenting. Um, so many cultures, this is so such a foreign concept because like being Asian, you know, we have something called tiger parenting and mm-hmm. um, it's very cultural to be high demand parents. So it, I almost have to change, like unschool myself to be a low demand parent just because of the culture and and the people and how I grew up my parents weren't as bad but like going growing up in a Chinese church and you know just those demands that everybody has to get A's and it's just so hard so I just wanted your observation on on how the cultural shifts in many different cultures have to go through with um changing over to low demand parenting mm. Thank you for naming that and bringing your story in. I'm glad you're feeling seen in this conversation. I think that's so important. Um, you are naming such an important element that is, um, it's two things. Like it helps us to remember that demands are socially and culturally constructed expectations and definitions of the good life. And that every in, turn, in some ways, every family that is their own culture, it's like our smallest microcosm of culture is family. And so every family creates that definition for their children. And so you had one created for you in your first family that was very much reinforced by the wider culture. And the just when we're tempted to say like, well, all good parents do blah, 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 or good kids are supposed to fill in the blank. Remember that those things are cultural expectations that may be as specific as your town, you know, in your town, all good kids play field hockey. And so, which is, you know, totally foreign to somebody in another place. I was hearing from um, someone, I think in Australia, we were talking about um, the way that sports culture there, and it was, it was a sport that, of course, we don't play here. And it was really fascinating just to remember that demands themselves, like what constitutes a demand, um, it is so specific to our different places. And um, then to your bigger point about the amount of de-schooling that we have to do, I think it is a different journey for different people. 
I also want to name the reality of trauma and the way that complex PTSD from childhood will play into it. If you had a parent who routinely yelled at you when they were upset, it's going to be different for you to drop the demand that your child speak to you with kindness if by them yelling at you, it's triggering some unmet needs and some untreated trauma. So recognizing that not only are we a product of our family's culture, but we're also a product of our own mental health and the way that we, you know, to the point about the young child, like what we were given by our parents when we were little. Um, I do find like on the positive end that the more we do this work, like somebody to me said, well, if I asked myself what's too hard, it would be everything. Everything is too hard. And I said, okay, well, then we've got a lot of work to do. Let's get started. That if it feels like your whole world would fall apart, if you even began asking the question of what's too hard, like that tells you something about how hard you're pushing and how hard life is. And what if it wasn't so hard? What if you had more freedom? What if you had more room to explore? What if you could experience ease and joy and that if we were raised with a high demand family or in a high demand culture, like just how much room there is to move in more nurturing and gentle ways in the world. Um, and that even small steps in that direction matter. Can I add a little bit to that as well, especially as a child of an immigrant parent as well? I think, Hiromi, you probably were both... Uh, you know, raised, being raised in Canada um, or other, I mean, we haven't always lived in Canada as when I was young, but also, you know, you and I both live in Canada and many of our communities are, we are children of either first generation, um, we are first generation or second generation um, for, for many of us. And I agree, Amanda, it, it, so many times it's the circumstances of our environment and where we are. Um, and, and I say immigrant parents as well, because many immigrant parents, whether they're Asian, whether they are from the African continent, um, from the Caribbean, have extremely high demands and expectations. Um, Iris Chen talks a lot about this. She's an unschooling parent and um, untigering is uh, what she talks about, uh, kind of flipping the tiger mom on its head, but also, you know, having compassion for our parents who bring a high demand parenting into their lives and with us because of, and Amanda, you referenced trauma that a lot are facing, who came to, you know, who worked three, four jobs, who, um, you know, who sacrificed and who had to do many, many, many different things, um, many hard things who struggled just to be seen, just to live their life. Um, just to care for their family uh, on many levels that others who were not um, new to the country maybe did. And it brings with them, and then also being in a new culture, a new language, a new space, and not feeling safe, I think as well adds to that um, high demand protection feeling as well, right? Um, when you're away from what you know, and then you bring in what, you, what you're familiar with. And so many times it is very... <laughs> very, very strict, very high demand um, that carries over. But then there's that line of being a, a child who's a first-generation child who's living that 
dichotomy, right? Of parents who are high demand, who are um, many times, I think it's living out of fear in so many ways, right? It's the fearful love. Um, and then at the same time, walking that line of being in another country, growing up in a country where expectations are very different, where ideas around parenting, culture um, are very different. But at the same time, it's having half of your family being strangers in the land that is now your home. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. Thank you for asking that. Um, but there is, I think that's, that, that brings a whole other level of de-schooling and de-parenting into it because many times as well, that older generation is also still very active within our lives and with our children. Um, because there's also for many, many families, there's a continuity, like for example, my dad lives with us. Um, or is, you know, families that are very involved still, so they bring their expectations, their high demands, into uh, our environment and it's learning how to still have compassion but at the same time have our boundaries um, understand our expectations and what we are then putting upon our children as well so yeah i think that's a great question and i and uh i, I definitely understand what you're sharing and relating to but it's a it's a really it's a long um practice and process for sure a lot of reflection and conversation. And um, yeah, I, I completely understand that, which brings a whole other element into our lives, especially for doing something like homeschooling and unschooling. That's my share. I love your shares, Robin. I love you. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thank you so much, Harami, for bringing that you know, I think that that resonates with a lot of people. And it's also just another layer to add to this conversation, which is so good for all of us to just be aware of. And, and even if that isn't our story, just to be aware of other people's stories and, and where they're coming from and what they've gone through, what they're continuing to go through in their lives really opens up the spirit of awareness and compassion. We really don't know how anyone else is doing except ourselves, which is circling back to you, Amanda, where this low demand parenting is so critical is it's, I have to know my own needs and I have to know that right now my needs are not being met. And how can I, inside of healthy boundaries, resource my own needs and then therefore have something to help resource my fellow man's needs, whether my fellow man is my friend, my partner, my children, the neighbor down the street, someone at the grocery store. Um, I can't, I can't help anyone else if I cannot resource myself. And as we go into this new homeschooling year as parents, and whether you homeschool year round or you homeschool seasonally, or you actually stop and pick up homeschooling, all of that is different. All of that is particular to your family. And just like this conversation has done such a great job, there is no right way and there's no shoulds here and there's no comparison, but we do have sort of like a shift that happens um, where we look to um, the future and we we can start to have those expectations creep up on us and so one of those things is we might be engaged in back to school shopping or marking a new year for our family is just to kind of um, really get rooted in relationships and those needs that you've been talking about I, I know that we are kind of have a hard stop um, up here at seven so uh, Robin did were there any other questions that might be kind of a quick one to answer or should we just kind of 
Yeah, I think, uh, well, there was two that I, I think probably stand out as well that I don't, I, I guess we can try and answer them quickly. One is uh, about, about PDA, but one was tips for full-time entrepreneurs working from home. Um, and I think Amanda, that would probably, probably be able to offer wonderful tips on that. And the second question was actually specifically about PDA. Uh, what are the signs and can it get diagnosed? So the first one was tips for full-time entrepreneurs working from home. Did you want to share maybe three tips that might be okay. useful? Yeah. My first tip is get some help. Whether it's help for your business or help for your kids that you may be expecting too much. And so that's a good place to start. One way that I get help because I need to be with my children for their regulation and attachment. And so I hire out a good bit of my administrative work in my business. Anything that doesn't have to be done by me, I'll, I'd rather pay someone to do the business than the parenting because my kids need me and there's no replacement for that. Um, tip number two would be to let go of any issues you are currently having around screens and um, like let in the whole world that's available through technology that can be supporting your child while you're doing your business. Just like do your deep work there, figure out what you can do to make that safe for you and then let your child free to explore. Um, and my third tip would be to keep your expectations around what you are able to do in terms of teaching and schooling, like hold those really loosely that maybe just learning to live well together with your child around as you do your business may be enough for now. And you can always um, build on that foundation once it's solid. Um, and then real quick on PDA, I would go to PDA North America if you live in the States and learn more about the resources there. There are people who can diagnose, but they're going to be doing it somewhat off the grid because it is not currently part of the DSM-5. Um, and you can find out lots more by following me and lots of other um, great teachers about PDA in particular. If you're wondering about it, please learn more because understanding our PDA kids is just so challenging and so crucial for the whole family. It really is, um, Amanda, and, and thank you so much for calling out like that it's not really diagnosed here in the United States yet, and you might get a diagnosis that looks like ODD, or um, I know that sometimes there's a crossover with reactive attachment disorder, um, or do you know of any other like a misdiagnosis, I, I hate to use the word misdiagnosis, but um, mm -hmm. diagnosis is that, that a PDA child might be flying under the radar? Uh, a lot of people would just be getting a sensory processing disorder and an ADHD diagnosis as well. Um, but with a lot of people saying something else is wrong here, you're not, you don't have enough boundaries, like kind of a solid dose of parent judgment on the side. Um, and I would say any kind of mood disorder, it can be sometimes looking like bipolar or um, OCD. Thank you so much, Amanda. I think that that's so helpful. Knowledge is power. And th th 
we are kind of on the forefront of this diagnosis. And so if you're the, the, the diagnosis might not catch up to your child. And so it's really important to follow um, people like Amanda and other in that area. Check out the website. Robin just put it in the chat. Reach out to any of us. I know that we're all here to help. And sometimes it's just like, well, I'm not sure, but why don't you talk to this person? And it's just making an introduction. Uh, we're all parents here. We're all doing the best we can. And that's good enough. And so um, I just appreciate your time so much, Amanda. Um, for anyone who wants to know more about Amanda besides following her, do pick up that book. I, I read it in just a few days. It's full of practical examples and resources at the end of the book that are really great. And I uh, just thank you, thank you, thank you, Amanda, so much. And also you, Robin. Thank you to thank you, you Amanda. Thank you, Kelly. One quick note, if you do want the book, the resources in the back of the book are not currently downloadable, but I just um, created a free download of all those resources today that's going up. So if you already have it or are interested, you can grab that and you get all of the worksheets and printables and all of that right on your own computer. That's so awesome. And thank you for making them free and available to people because I think that they're super, super helpful. All right. Well, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Hiromi, for coming up and chatting. And thank you for everyone who has attended tonight. Please share the link to this room with a friend of yours that might be interested. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful Tuesday evening. And thanks again, Amanda. Appreciate you so much. Thank you, Amanda. Great to connect. Thank you. And that wraps up our eye-opening conversation with Amanda Diekman on low-demand parenting. I hope you found this discussion as illuminating as I did. A big thank you to Amanda for sharing her journey, insights, and practical tips. If you're curious to explore further or have burning questions, be sure to connect with Amanda on her website or social media. They're linked in the show notes. As we navigate the intricate journey of parenting and homeschooling, it's crucial to remember that there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Low-demand parenting encourages us to break free from societal expectations, to honor our needs and those of our children. So, as we step into this new year, let's lower demands and carry the wisdom from this conversation to create lives centered on relationship first and filled with love, joy, and healing. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback fuels our mission to bring you meaningful conversations, personal development, trainings, and valuable insights. And of course, a huge shout out to Robin Robertson of the podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, and her community in the Honey, I'm Homeschooling Club on Clubhouse for their engaging questions and active participation. Stay tuned for more enlightening episodes on the 90 Minute School Day podcast coming up in season two. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and embrace the beauty of our lifelong learning journey. Take care of yourself first so you can care for your children, honoring needs and deepening connection between yourself 
and your loved ones. <laughs>